Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name's Joe Marcellina. Joining me from a remote location somewhere in the state of New Hampshire, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Doing great as always, Joe. Uh, you can send us uh, questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at nhhsports. And uh, for most of the season, we've been telling you you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings at nh-highschoolsports.com. Although uh, next week we are gonna we are gonna call an audible. How do you, how do you like that? You like uh, that? Uh, I threw that in there. It was uh, a competent use of the term, I would th- say. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are we are actually next week we're gonna be. Uh, doing the podcast a little bit later, so you, we will, won't be up until uh, Thursday of next week. So uh, if you get up Tuesday morning and you start refreshing the the web the web page and, and it's not there, um, don't panic. It's not going to be there till Thursday. Um, so yeah, just a, a little scheduling note for you, and uh, you know that that could be good for us uh, to have a few extra days because honestly, the way things have been going the last couple weeks. Uh, we may not know what, uh, who's playing what until uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. It's like our uh, our our intelligence data is is quickly outdated by the time you get to midweek in terms of schedule changes and game cancellations and uh, giant uh, schools shutting down fall sports completely. <laughs> uh, just yeah, you name it. Yeah. I heard, I heard, you know, uh, overheard a, a conversation today, and someone said, "Hey, you know, do an AD. Hey, is your you're still playing this uh, on on Friday for this team on Friday?" He's, well, as of 15 minutes ago, yeah, but I haven't heard anything uh, heard anything recently. Yeah, so, I mean, we're yeah, here we're doing this at the beginning of the week, and and you know, I think uh, you know maybe the first game we'll talk about here, the one I was at Friday night between uh, Merrimack and Salem wasn't actually on the schedule until two days after we'd recorded this. So, um, I, you know, anything is possible. Uh, of course, you, you had a, a lot of stuff going on last week in terms of, I, I think not just with 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 pandemic and COVID-related stuff, but also with the weather. Um, the forecast called for a lot of rain Friday into Saturday. And, um, you know, some schools moved their games around. Uh, other schools ended up just canceling their games with no, I you know, I... I haven't heard of reasons why I, I don't know if it's weather related or if it was COVID related or, or what um, you know but of course last Wednesday we found out that Pinkerton was was canceling all of its fall sports um, because of some possible exposure to, to COVID uh, of course you know Merrimack is finally back on the field for the first you know first time in a couple of weeks but then you had Nashua South Nashua North with some some issues going on in the community not necessarily with those teams or the school and then um you know, late in the week, um, that North Alvern game finally got postponed. Um, I guess because Alvern had some potential exposures with some stuff going on in the community there. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot going on. Um, you know, you had uh, Bowen Merrimack Valley; their game was canceled for uh, unknown reasons. Laconia Interlakes, it looks like, didn't play. Um, Newfound and Muscoma, their game was canceled uh, early Saturday. It was supposed to be played Saturday afternoon, so. Just a, a, a topsy-turvy week, and, um, you know, just I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get in as many games as we were, it looks, it sounds like. Yeah, and uh, to add to that, uh, I think uh, the hillsborough during hopkinton um, pembroke game was almost in doubt. I think they rescheduled right. that for yeah. sometime on Sunday. 
that was another impact. Um, yeah, I, I, I was, I was shaken by hearing a lot of that, but, um, you know, hearing about Pinkerton canceling fall sports, you know, it's, it, my wife coached, um, cheer at Pinkerton for several years. And, uh, you know, so still has an affinity for the program and, and a lot of the, the folks that are over in there. A lot of those coaches have been there for, for decades, right? So she, she had some interaction with those people. And we were talking at dinner and saying, wow, you know, uh, not that I'm a fan of the of this particular baseball uh, team, but, but uh, to say that Pinkerton not being involved in NHIAA football is like if you heard that the New York Yankees were not going to be playing baseball right. this yeah. year anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, during a season, right? I mean, it's just they're that much of a uh, when you you know when when you think about New Hampshire football, Pinkerton is definitely one of the teams that comes to mind in terms of their history, their success, how long Coach O'Reilly and that staff have been there. Uh, you know, their success that they had in a lot of out of state games when they used to play Brockton and things like that. I mean, it's that's that's that really brings home to you how topsy turvy this whole thing has been. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, it's on the on the one hand, it, it's, you know, you have kind of mixed emotions over it, I think, at least from, from this, this seat. I mean, obviously, the, it's devastating for the kids, um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of those kids are, especially the seniors, are just really brokenhearted over what transpired. But, you know, not to, I, I hate to sound like I'm, I'm, you know, maybe scolding or wagging my finger at anybody, but, I mean, this is kind of, you know, something that, that needs to be, you know, considered too is, is you can't, I mean, you can't really take chances with this. I, I, it's, you know, I, I've, I've been, you know, been out to a lot of places this fall and, and I'd say 85 to 90% of the time, I see a lot of people doing the right things, following all the guidelines, being safe, wearing masks, keeping their distance, all that stuff. But then there's that 10% of the time where that's not the case. And I'm sure when there aren't a ton of people around, it's, it's happening a little bit too. It only takes one. It only takes yeah. one person to, to screw it up for, you know, a whole lot of other people. And it sounds like, you know, this might've been the case here. Um, I know if that were me, I would feel terrible about it. Uh, and you know, I, it's, I hope that, that, that people are learning lessons from other people's kind of, um, misfortunes here. Um, because, like, and, and, and you said, have, not having Pinkerton compete in this football season, um, and, and some some other sports, too. I mean, they've been very competitive, you know, in field hockey and, and boys and girls soccer and, you know, volleyball. They're typically, you know, a Final Four team, if not a top eight team. So, you know, this is going to look strange not having them in these, these tournaments. But for football this year, you know, outside of Nashua North, maybe, maybe Londonderry, um, you know, I thought they were legit – legit contender to, to, to win this year after having watched them a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did. They, they were, they were definitely a good team. They had some quality wins under their belt already. Um, it, it's like you said, it's unfortunate and uh, I'm sure there's nothing that we're going to say on here. That's going to make anybody associated with that program feel any better about it. But um, that, that was a tough one for me to swallow. Again, it was, you know, there's, a, there's been a lot of teams that have, that have suffered, uh, you know, consequences through this. But again, when you think about the teams that typically represent New Hampshire football, it's, it's a shorter list, right? It's the Pinkerton and the Plymouth and these teams that are just 
well known and recognized as as being Granite State, um, you know, like pillars. Yeah. And yeah. Pinkerton going out is is a big deal, and, yeah. and it deserved mention on this show, I think. So, of course, uh, hearts go out to the coaches and the families and the players. But I think you hit it though. What's the alternative to do something that's unwise and unsafe? You know, I mean, it, again, it's a courageous decision to do that, and I I I feel bad for the people that had to make that decision ultimately. But at the end of the day, you you can't fault them for making a decision that's designed to uh, to watch out for the health and well-being of a much broader population yeah, of people. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Hey, it is what it is. Um, so the team that Pinkerton was supposed to play last week, uh, Salem, ended up picking up a game um, against Merrimack that was actually supposed to was on the schedule for the week before, um, and didn't get played because uh, Merrimack was still in the, in their own quarantine. Um, and, you know, I, I'll tell you, I saw Salem earlier a couple weeks before against Londonderry and came away wondering, you know, was, was Salem a team that was gonna that was struggling on offense this year or was Londonderry just that good defensively? Uh, and then Salem came out and put up, uh, what, 34 points in the first half against Merrimack. They had I, – I, I had to double-check this because I don't know if I've ever seen this before – but I had Salem for 462 yards rushing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I read, the, I read the wrong line there. 342 yards rushing in the first half against Merrimack, 462 for the entire game. 12.2 um, yards a carry in that first half, and uh, three touchdowns of 65 yards or more. Uh, it was just I, I, the kind of performance that um, you, know, you don't see against programs that are, are that competitive. Yeah, I I uh I was I was honestly shocked. I I I knew that Salem was a good team. But again, you know, to see them get kind of shut down against Londonderry, knowing that Londonderry has a good defense, but they also graduated some key players off that defense. You know, you had to question a little bit whether Salem was going to be you know, sort of the offensive juggernaut that they've been in the in the past. Uh, especially with a with a really potent ground game and you know always loaded with with great running backs and you know so I sort of shrugged and said oh this ought to be an interesting game you know Merrimack beat Bishop Girton week one they've had a couple weeks off so there, there's bound to be considerable rust there right I mean as we've been saying no preseason really no scrimmages uh, and and um, and then the whole mix up of you know, you kind of find out that you're playing each other. What was it? Probably Tuesday night. I think yeah, that decision was yeah. made. Actually, no, I think it was Wednesday afternoon. What, was it that late? It yeah. Wednesday so, I mean, now. you know, yeah. and there was an interesting, uh, there was an interesting quote from, um, uh, from, um, what is the name of the, of the, uh, now I'm forgetting Salem's coach's name. Uh, Steve uh, Abraham. is it coach Abraham? Yeah. 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 I think there was an interesting quote from Coach Abraham where he said, hey, you know, uh, we were preparing for a wing T team uh, and we ended up with a spread team. They were preparing for a spread team and ended up with a wing T team. <laughs> it was like in terms of your defensive preparation, that's tough. But, um, hey, you know, they, they were both dealt the same set of variables there. And, yeah, Salem really, really uh, made a statement. Um you know, I, I mean, you were about, you were talking about um, 
one of the later runs that took place in the game before we got on the call by Dante Fernandez. I, I saw an early run by uh, Aiden McDonald. And, you know, there, it wasn't like an electrifying run. It was just he took the third play from scrimmage, a toss to the outside, found just the right blocking, you know, two relatively iffy angles from Merrimack, not horrible angles, but they didn't take great angles. And he just shifted gears and disappeared. And there were about seven black helmets following him. And the run wasn't in doubt after he got about four yards, right? After he gained four yards, you knew he was going the other 60. Yeah, that they've got some speed in the backfield, yeah. no question. He and he's a little bit more of a can he's he's obviously well obviously he's got speed, but but McDonald has a little bit more power to his running game too. Fernandez, I, I mean, he's just he's a shifty guy, and the speed that he showed on his uh, long touchdown run there, I I don't know how many times I've seen kids with with breakaway speed like that. He, um, you know, and it was his touchdown, and then um, another touchdown uh, touchdown pass actually from. Uh, Cody Clements to Ryan Allard that went for 75 yards. Really two touchdowns in the last four and a half minutes of the first half there that really turned the game. Merrimack had made it 21-13, and, um, you know, Salem puts in these two touchdowns right before half on on just kind of devastating plays uh, because of the yardage, I think. Um, but that, that Fernandez's run, uh, I had it at 77 yards, you know, he, he gets through kind of the Merrimack defense by just juking, I think, everybody. Um, I You know, I didn't go and count the number of defenders, but it felt like all 11 guys, you know, maybe had a shot at him, and he just danced his way through them. And he got to that, that last guy and cut back towards the middle of the field and just sprinted away from him. And, you know, I'm watching it from the far end zone, and I can see, you know, all of a sudden the gap between him and everybody else just getting wider. And I could not believe that he had another, another gear to kind of throw that into. So it was just, it was one of the, the more exciting kind of electrifying touchdown runs. I think I've seen in, in a while, definitely this year. Yeah. I mean, he personally outgained Merrimack on the ground. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, Mer- and it's not like Merrimack's ground game was non-existent. You know, they, they, they rushed for 150 yards or somewhere in that neighborhood. But the Salem defense was very, very good. I mean, Noah Poulin had ten tackles. There were four takeaways. Uh, I had five. I had you know, so so five. the Blue Devil defense showed up too. As much as their their offense obviously was was the uh, kind of the talk of the night. Um, you know, they played very, very good defense as well. Probably, I, I would imagine they feel this is their easily their best performance yeah. of the year. You know, uh, the other um, other kind of uh, eye opening. Uh, result there in in the same uh, in that South uh, Conference, yet um, Londonderry with a forty-one nothing win over Wyndham. Um, you know that's that's two rough games for Wyndham now, uh, having not scored through the first two games, and uh, Londonderry with a huge bounce back after that, uh, having their win streak snapped the week before against Bedford. Yeah, and and I think that's you know that's one of the things where you have to kind of feel bad for Wyndham about, right? You knew that Londonderry was not gonna, you know, go, go on a two-game losing streak. Yeah. Um, and you know they were probably stinging after that Bedford loss, and so you know you don't want to be in the way of that kind of buzzsaw coming at you with that sort of motivation. And you know, I I, I know Wyndham's a younger team. 
and they had some success. Um, but yeah, it, it sounded like Londonderry was just primed for that one and wanted to make a statement. Um, you, you know, I mean, we talked about the, about Dylan McEachern, who I think had a really good opening game. That was the Salem game, correct? Uh, the, the Pinkerton game. Yes. Pinkerton. Pinkerton. Yeah. Thank you. And then he got banged up against Salem. Yeah. Last week, not not badly, but I think he just he got banged. You said it might have been like a neck injury or something like that. Well, I mean, he comes out and accounts for 210 yards on offense, ran for 164. Um, so obviously he feels good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I you know, and and, and you know, you, you and I were texting a little bit, and you were saying, you know as much as that score was lopsided, we both know very well that Wyndham has very gifted athletes. They're well coached. So again, it's kind of another one of those wins for Londonderry, like the Salem win, uh, where you say, man, that really does give you a, a litmus test for just how good Londonderry is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it doesn't get easier for Wyndham this week as they, uh, they host Salem, uh, or at least as of right now, they host Salem on Saturday. Um, yeah, so that's um, it'd be a, a a tough three game stretch for them, and then they go right into the playoffs after that, presumably. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's a tough one, and then you know I'm I'm finding these um, Seacoast games kind of interesting, uh, you know, because they all seem to be incredibly low scoring. Um, you know, we had we had last week, you had uh, or excuse me. Uh, the opening week, you had Winnicunit, uh hanging on against Exeter in a low-scoring game, and then Winnicunit, um or excuse me, Dover beats then beats Exeter, and I think it was what seven six was the final. Um, this week, you got Dover beating Portsmouth thirteen to six, Winnicunit beating Manchester Memorial fourteen nothing. Um, you know, and then Exeter does put up twenty nine, beat Spalding twenty nine to six, but um, you know that might have been the highest-scoring game I think out of. Uh, you know, all of these games that these teams have played against each other so far this year. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, you know, I, I was most drawn to the, to the Winnicott over Memorial score because, you know, Memorial was coming in three and Oh, seemed to have a ton of momentum going, but we knew Winnicott was good. So that was really the, uh, of that Seacoast, the Seacoast group that you just mentioned, that was kind of the, the game that caught my attention the most, but, you know, thinking about what happened in that game, I mean, I think Memorial threw three picks, um, you know, was down in the red zone three or four times, couldn't capitalize on it. Um, you know, so again, if you kind of, you wonder if you take away some of the mistakes, Memorial could very easily be sitting at four and Oh, right. Uh, you had a Winnicott defense that sort of sounds like they've woken up a little bit, maybe even like the Winnicott defense of old, um, you know, from, from two or three years ago where they had really, really good defenses and they just played lights out against what, you know, I think still is a pretty good Memorial team. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out um, a little bit more about them this week. They're scheduled to play at Goffstown on Saturday. Uh that should be an interesting game. Of course, Goffstown's uh, sitting at four and zero after they, um, you know, they got a big win over Manchester Central. But uh, I, I do want to, you know, mention in that Dover game, um, you know, they were down seven six with about four and a half minutes to go, and uh, 
probably I you know one of those ones that in hindsight I'm just like man I wish I wish I'd been there to see this one. They go on an, an 18 play, 94 yard drive, and uh, you know Darian Lopez Sullivan scores with eight seconds left for them to win that game 13-7, which just I mean that just sounds like a lot of fun. Um, you know one of those drives too that probably. You're thinking when it starts. I mean, you know, for for my, you know, for myself, I know I've I've definitely been in these positions watching these games where I'm thinking, wow, this is it's high school football. I mean, uh, what teams? There are not many teams that are going 94 yards in four minutes with a game on the line, and it just, you know, those are the things you see in the pros and maybe in college. Uh, but then it's one of those ones that probably they pick up a couple of first downs, and it's just like, wow, um, this might actually happen. And yeah. then, you know, they pick up another for and all of a sudden they're, you know, at the 20 or something. And, um, you know, just a lot of, I imagine, you know, a lot of fun watching that that finish there. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, Dover has a feel about them this year. And I don't, I don't know how else to put it, right? They've, they have pulled off some really interesting finishes, some really tight finishes against good teams. And sometimes I think I think that's way more powerful and potentially way more dangerous, especially with the way that this playoff format is shaping up to to look like. Although you know we've admitted a hundred thousand times on this show we we don't we don't know what that means, <laughs> but uh, they just find a way to win every week, like some magical just pull a rabbit out of the hat as a group of 22 guys, offense, defense, working together. They, they find these ways to win. It seems like every week you're, you're reading about or, or seeing that same kind of, uh, that same kind of result with them. And so, you know, it's funny because I think we've mentioned a couple of times, you, you know, we started off, they, they did not play week one. Right. Uh, Cause they were scheduled against Spalding. And so, you know, you, you, you think, Oh, well, you know, they're behind the eight ball already right there. You know, everybody else is going to be kind of out of the gate. Um, and then they go off and they, they, they rattle off wins against uh, Exeter. I'm missing who they beat last week. Oh, and when a cut it, right. We, again, huge win against a quality opponent. And then, uh, and then Portsmouth having to pull magic out at the end of the game on this one. I mean, it's interesting and it's dangerous. <laughs> it really is. Right. Cause you know, you, you just, that experience and that confidence that you get, you know, you don't get a whole lot from blowing other teams out. No, no, you, don't. you know, it, it, it ain't Madden football on low difficulty level. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, this is the real deal. And when those guys have to battle for 48 minutes every week and face the ups and downs and stuff, when you go into the playoffs, that experience is very, very important. It can't be understated. So I really kind of like that feel that surrounds Dover right now. I'm not saying they're like an odds-on to 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 go and win, right? I, mean, I think we've talked about other teams like Londonderry, uh, for example. But, but I don't know. There's something about that Dover team that that is special. You know, and um, they might be get behind a little behind, or excuse me, get behind the eight ball a little bit here again, where um, you know it's looking like they may not have a game uh, this week. Um, you know, we, we kind of alluded to the playoff format and I guess the one thing we do know is that division one is going to have three, uh, play in games, um, for this weekend. Um, I think we, we kind of talked about last week, you know, going by each conference where, you know, you're going to 
they essentially want to get to four teams for each one. You, and um, to do that, you have to cut out that fifth team this week. And with, with Pinkerton dropping out, the South Conference has got its four teams. Um, and, you know, then you look at, at the the East and the North, and actually, it, oddly enough, the games that were – are the playing games were actually scheduled for this week with, with Exeter and Portsmouth uh, playing in the East and then uh, Concord and Central playing in the North – um, you know, and then um, in the West, you had BG, which got its first win this past week over Trinity, and then Keene, which um, actually lost at Lebanon uh, this past weekend, uh, or against Lebanon. Um, you know, they'd be lining up for that, that West play-in game, and Keene was actually on the schedule to play Dover. Uh, and with, again, with Pinkerton not playing, there's an odd number of Division One teams. Well, Bedford and Nashua South, which were supposed to play Pinkerton and, and Bishop Girton, decided to play each other. So that kind of leaves Dover without a game at this point, um, unfortunately. So, yeah, they may go, you know, a week at the beginning of the season then a week at the end of, you know, going into playoffs without having a game. Yeah. And how much of a disadvantage that is. Yeah, yeah. Or, or who knows, maybe they, I mean, I, I don't know how banged up you get in a uh, in a three week stretch, but maybe they could be could give them a little bit of a boost. Um, yeah, I, th- that's a great silver lining way to look at it. I, I'm not so sure that you know. Again, you look at sort of the you look at the Merrimack Tomahawks example, right? Where you know, I think I think they're probably a better team than that if they if they played week two and week three. So that's kind of. Um... Like I said, what we know about the so far about the the playoffs for Division One, um, you know, beyond uh, beyond this week is kind of still a mystery. We have no idea if they're going to be at, at at this moment, I should say, no idea if they're going to be seeding teams for the that first round, um, the weekend of Halloween. They're seeding teams on on records. If they're doing like they've done now in other sports, and it's going to just be a blind draw and pulling numbers out of a or names out of a hat and assigning them a number. Um, if that ends up happening, I'm sure it will not go over well, uh, regardless yeah. of, of what the draw is. Uh, but anyways, um, I don't know. Looking at the D2 games, um, well, I guess, why don't we start with the one I got I got to see Saturday. Um, you know, you had Hollis Brookline coming out with a, a really eye-opening uh, 34-8 to win over Timberlane in a, a game that was uh, a little historical. Uh, the, the first ever football game on Hollis's new turf field. Um, I'll tell you, that's the first time I, you know, I've kind of caught glimpses of it from a distance. Um, that field is nice. It is. <laughs> it is a gorgeous football field. Yeah. It reminded me, I, I went up and saw it in June. I just happened to be driving through the area and, uh, I stopped by in like mid June and I walked up, I think it was actually on the last day of school. And I walked up there just to take a look at it out of curiosity because I was I was literally driving right by the school on my way home, uh-huh. and it reminded me of when I first saw the brand new field um, that they put down at Sauhegan. Yeah, in 2016. I mean, just gorgeous, you know, bright, right? Like it, it hasn't been sun bleached yet or anything. <laughs> it it just it's just really nice, and it's like in, an, in a idyllic setting up there too yeah especially in the fall you know i mean it just it's it's like this nice modern stadium but it just everything about it just feels like like little school new hampshire football and i mean that with uh 
respect, not not, not well, it's, it's, anything. It's, uh, it just feels awesome. It's modern in the sense that it has turf. Uh, once the lights get functioning, um, then then my, it'll be it'll have moved into the twentieth century, I think. Right, right. Um, yeah, there were that game was actually scheduled. We talked about it last last week because um, Timberlane had the odd fortune of of playing the first game on St. Thomas's turf field two weeks ago, and then was scheduled to play on Hollis's, but it, the game had to be moved to Saturday because the lights there's no power for the lights yet, which also means there's no power for the scoreboard. Uh, yeah. So they had. Uh, a generator up there to run the scoreboard, which, um, you know, anyone that was able to catch some video of it um, probably heard the generator running in the background. Um, they also uh, have yet to get the bleachers in. I guess they've, they've ordered bleachers from a, a school in, in the Midwest somewhere, and uh, those have yet to come in. So you had a lot of people standing around, um, the you know, the outside of the fence there watching the game. Um, yeah, but I mean the the turf itself, oh, man, is it it is a very nice field. Like you said, it's it, it's in a spot up there, you know, surrounded on two sides by trees, you know. So it's not getting a ton of like the the start of the game. There are already some pretty good shadows, um, you know, on the field. So it's it's not getting a full day's worth of sun, uh, which is is good for the field, I believe. Um, you know, and it just it it looks you know it's it's anyone that had had covered uh, games on their old field, um, just being able to see the yard uh, lines in certain spots because um, that other field when it got wet was just a a, a mud pit. Uh, yeah, it was, it was the swamp. Yeah, it was very hard to ch- tell where the lines were, where the ball was. Um, you know, looking at this field was was so much easier to follow the game, and it and it. I'll tell you what, it made a whole lot of a difference, I think, for Hollis, just having, you know, they're a team that's that's based on a, a lot of speed. Um, they've got definitely got some physical kids up front, um, but speed is definitely their game, and it sure helped having that turf. Yeah, and it was an odd game. Oh, very uh, yeah, You know, yeah. you, you tweeted out a stat line at one point that, uh, that, that Mark Thermitis, who's had some big games this year, I think he said he had 96 yards. Uh, total on eleven carries, but we, and one of those carries was for ninety-five yards and a touchdown. Ninety-five-yard touchdown, yeah. And then as yeah. a team, as a I team, I mean, you know, and and it was it sounded like it was all big plays. Whether it was uh, Bergerson, uh, you know, getting a, a short pass and then making a few kids uh, miss, and then you know, taking it all the way to the house or 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 what. But um, I was I was really surprised by that because. You know, Timberlane struggled in D1 last year, but they brought a lot back. And, you know, they're traditionally, a, regardless of their win-loss record, they're a pretty physical team. They usually play very, very good defense. And, uh, you know, they come off the ball and punch you in the mouth on offense. And so, you know, I was interested to see how the styles between Hollis Brookline and Timberlane were going to uh, to clash against each other. I didn't expect it to be a blowout. It doesn't surprise me that Hollis won, especially not on their home turf. Yeah, I was surprised in the way the way in which it happened. Well, so the, the uh, I think I noted this on on Twitter as it happened. the uh, The first points off scored on the field were were a uh, Timberlane safety. Um, they pinned Hollis at the one yard line on a punt uh, midway through the first quarter, and. Um, Hollis came out with like a wildcat 
set up, um, didn't get out of the end zone on the run and, you know, got tackled in the, in the end zone or very close to the end zone. Um, there was some question as to whether or not the forward progress got him out, but um, refs ruled that it was a safety. They got together, talked about it, decided it was still a safety. And, um, you know, of course, so then Hollis has, you know, kicks the ball back to Timberlane. They get a nice return on it. It looks like they might have a shot at, um, you know, getting in the end zone. And Hollis comes up with a stop on fourth and one at their own five that really just seemed to, to change that, that sequence there. They get that stop, and then the next play, uh, Marc-Andre Thermitis has his 95-yard touchdown run um, that, you know, just really completely changes changes the game. I mean, it, momentum really started swinging Hollis's way, despite the fact that, you know, Timberlane seemed to have time of possession. Um, you know, they definitely ran more plays in that first half. So, you know, it was um, – but it was – like you said, it was Hollis's big plays. I mean, I – you know – the, the biggest one outside of the Thermitis touchdown, um, you mentioned Blake Bergerson. He had a, a 90-yard touchdown reception in this in the third quarter that um, I think the pass probably went about three yards. And uh, Bergerson started to cut inside, and there was like five Timberlane defenders that just were were all over him. And he, like, he made a couple of moves. I don't know if anybody touched him or if he just – danced around enough and then all of a sudden it was like this hole just opened up and he saw it and took off i i honestly i don't i don't know how it happened um yeah. it was it's it awesome was, that for the quarterback stats that goes down as like a 90 yard touchdown yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah well yeah you had um we were we were debating about this before the game how to say this young man's name but uh drew uh let's take it let's take a shot at it at it here grinowitz um, from here on out, we will just call him Drew. Um, <laughs> yeah, finished, I think that was a good attempt. He finished 12 of 18 for 306 yards. 90 of that came on, on actually, I should say 151 of those yards came on Bergerson's two touchdowns. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, pretty pretty good day passing for, for the Hollis offense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, too, the Hollis defense came to play because – you know, what I was able to see on the, the video that you put up was it, it just looked like the Hollis front at times was too much to handle for the Timberlane offensive line. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I saw based on the footage that you put together, right? That, you know, Timberlane was doing a number of different things to try to, uh, to, try to find a seam in there for their running game, right? Whether it was running shotgun style plays and then there were other times they were under center and they were running you know, I and wing T type stuff, which is, you know, that's been their offense for years, but um, they were working a lot of different schemes to try to get some space freed up for their backs. And it was just, they had to be almost perfect. It looked like to put a drive together because the Hollis defense, uh, particularly the run defense was playing really, really good. Yeah. It, uh, their run defense was playing good. They also, um, it felt like, especially in the second half, every time that Timberlane tried to drop back the pass, they just had no time. Yeah, um, you know, I had I had them for mainly on on sacks. I had Timberlane for minus nineteen yards rushing in the second half. Um, again, because they just could not. Hollis was getting so much pressure. Um, you know, and they they took probably a couple more sacks than they would have liked to. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, and that um, you know it, it kind of uh, again in the weird twenty twenty season that we're in. Um, you know, Hollis 
wins this game. They win last week at Sanborn. And then now this coming week, um, they've got a chance to, to avenge a loss that they had two weeks ago or three weeks ago, excuse me, um, against Milford. Uh, you know, like we said, the oddity of this year, they get to play Milford twice um, just to get games in. Milford, of course, is coming off. You know, we talked about this last week, you know, because they've had, you know, been so successful over the years. One of the teams that they've been able to beat up a lot on was uh, was Pelham. Of course, this year Pelham moved down to D3. Uh, and, you know, they've been um, they've been really roaring through this season. I, maybe, maybe I guess the, the highlight for Milford is they actually scored points. Pelham hadn't given up a point in the first three games. Uh, they beat Milford 34-13 this past weekend. Um, you know, so, um, that can be yeah. an interesting game on Friday with Milford at Hollis Brookline. Or yeah. And it, and it sounded Saturday. like the Pelham defense still played really, really well. It sounded like Milford was able to break out for a couple of 50 plus yard, you know, they broke away on big plays for those two runs. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like Milford put together one of their more classic, uh, you know, very methodical drives, which can really take the heart out of your defense if you let them do it to you. And and they are very good at figuring out how to do that to you. Um, but it was a it was a pretty tight game up until uh, uh, Jake Hurling breaking off. You know, you you come out after half, it's kind of a tight game, and talk about setting the tone. You you know, you take the opening kickoff, eighty yards for a score to make it a two score game and. You know, it, it, with between that and having a really good defense, it sounded like that was kind of too much for Milford to overcome. Yeah. But yeah, it, it does set up a pretty interesting matchup because, as we we noted in the first matchup between Milford and Hollis, the, statistically you would have looked at the 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 stat sheet and said, "Oh wow, you know, Hollis must have won that game by a good margin." Thermitis had. 320 yards rushing or something to that effect, right? And in right. fact, Milford won that game 26-24, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was a two-point game, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then you see the, you know, again, Milford coming off, uh, is it was that their second loss in a row? I know they yeah, lost, lost to Sauhegan the week before, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, when was the last time a Keith Jones coached Milford program uh, went on an 0 and 3 streak? I think it was some time ago. It's been a while, <laughs> no, yeah. But in recent history, so... You've got that motivation on uh, the Spartan side, and then you've got Hollis coming off of really what this year would be their signature win. I would say, right? I mean, right. yeah, that's a that's a pretty good win against what what you and I would have considered to be a, a quality opponent, um, and it's going to be on their own turf. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, you, and you look around at the the rest of D two, and I I think a lot of. Um, you know, the outcomes, I think, on a lot of the other games went the way we probably would have expected this year. You know, you Kennett, Sauhegan, Plymouth um, winning big against uh, D2 foes. Guilford Belmont got a 22 nothing win over Winnesquam. As we mentioned earlier, Lebanon beat and Keene. Um, Hillsborough, Deering, Hopkinton, like you said, played on Sunday. They hand Pembroke their first loss, 22-13. And then um, in a game that was not on the schedule, I think, until about Tuesday of last week. Uh, Hanover hangs on to beat John Stark 21-20. You know, so uh, a couple of games that were, um, you know, a little bit closer and then a couple of one-sided games that we kind of expected. And um, Yeah. Yeah, the the HDH game sounded like a meat grinder. I yeah. saw the stats yeah. on that game, and it, and it looked like 
it was tough sledding the whole game. But that again, that's a great game for uh, uh, for the Red Hawks to win because Pembroke was Pembroke started out three and zero, right? Yep. Um, so that's a nice feather in your cap for uh, for HDH and a good you know a good quality win in terms of grinding things out. Like I said, and then you know you have to feel for John Stark because they were down twenty one nothing at half. Uh, you know, came screaming back. Uh, you know, all, almost made a, a, you know, almost made a, a pretty amazing comeback. They're winless, so that would have been a huge win for them. And yeah. you know, I, it's funny. I um, I coach flag football in Ware, and uh, you know, we have high school. The high school guys help officiate our games, so every morning we talked to him a little bit about what's been going on and it's a Sunday morning so they've they've almost always played and uh you know I had to tell the the young man that was refing our game I had to say hey you know I've been there and you come up just inches short right and uh I know that one can hurt but keep it together right but um because just the fact that they had the car the the courage and the character to mount that comeback yeah and come up just that short that's that's tough so hopefully they keep plugging away and of course, we've got um, you know with with D two set up as well. There's some play-in games that were added to the schedule uh, this coming week. Um, yeah, that John Stark team actually gets to play Hillsborough during Hopkinton again in a yep. play play-in game on Saturday. Um, what did Hillsborough during Hopkinton beat him by? What like forty the the first time around, if I'm remembering correctly? Yeah, I, I, the final score was like fifty to thirteen or something, yeah. but it was closer at halftime. It was. It was twenty-eight to thirteen at half, or something, and and uh, you know they 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 made some adjustments at halftime and kind of put some mistakes behind them and opened it up. But it it wasn't it was a pretty it was a tighter game before the half than uh, the score indicates. And the other the other play-in will be uh, Kingswood at Merrimack Valley, um, and of course those with the reshuffling there, you get it ends up leaving St. Thomas and Kennett without games. So I guess they've decided to play another game themselves. Um, so that's two weeks in a row that yeah. they will be playing. Um, you know, so again, constantly changing. You gotta, you gotta be on the ball here with uh, with scheduling. Um, yeah. You know, again, if you're listening to this later in the week, um, you know, you probably want to go to your school's uh, website um, and check out to make sure that those games are still actually, you know, same time, same date, everything. Um, cause that's, that's, I guess that's the one constant this season is that nothing is constant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course. And then we had, um, you know, a couple other, uh, a couple other D three games. Well, you would actually Campbell and Sanborn, Sanborn being D two this year, Campbell and D three, uh, Campbell pulled out a 2018 win there. And then Stevens gets its first win with a 35, six win over fall mountain from D four. Uh, maybe the surprise, um, of the week, I don't know, or at least in the in in the D three and D four, uh, Newport beats up Monadnock forty one to fourteen, um, and just I I mean I was kind of stunned seeing that one uh, because I don't know, I mean Monadnock hasn't taken games too uh, too many games like that over the last couple of years, and certainly not against a, a team from a lower division. Yeah, no, and I, I got to tell you, I was able to see portions of that um, uh, online. And it, it was as it, 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 the score indicates the difference. Yeah. Right. You know, sometimes you say, Oh, well, you know, the game wasn't that close. I mean, Newport just 
dominated that game. Uh, the Newport offensive and defensive lines came to play. And I say that with tremendous respect because Monadnock's offensive and defensive lines are usually extremely right. good. Yeah. They're tough, they're strong, they're gritty, they're well-coached. And Newport kind of took their own game right to them. Um, and, you know, Newport ran a very similar scheme to what Laconia opened the season with. Uh, you know, kind of running like I formation power type stuff with the fullback and the tailback and Monadnock's defense just ate that alive uh, week one yeah. against Onia and running a very similar scheme. Um, you know, Newport just just found openings, right? It, it looked like Monadnock was just selling out all out blitz, you know, cover zero across the board. And I think at the end of the day, it, it hurt them because Newport would slip a fullback up the A gap, uh, you know, right between the center and the guard. And as soon as he cleared like two or three yards, there was there, nobody had an angle and he would, they would just be running, running for pay dirt. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, a lot of different players from, uh, from Newport contributed to that win. But I, I had to, I was watching some of this and I had to make sure that I found this young man's name and I could pronounce it right and everything. But Devin Haino is the fullback for Newport. And I really think that, you know, besides the, the, the play of the offensive and defensive lines, you, you have to hand it to him. I mean, I've coached when I was coaching, I coached running backs for 20 of my 23 years, probably. And we almost always had a fullback in our offense. And it would be very hard for me to go back, even with some of the really good fullbacks that I coached, like Brian Liamos and uh, from Hollis and Cam Kinney from Sauhegan to be able to find a game where a fullback made that much of a contribution. And I'm not just talking about running the ball. I mean, he was blocking his butt off, uh, whether it was on sweeps and leading around or kicking out for power plays or just cracking heads with linebackers on ISOs. I mean, he, he was awesome. So it's not often I get to talk, we get to talk about like fullbacks blocking. <laughs> so I wanted to take a little time, Joe, just to highlight. Just to get in, the, get that in there. Yeah, of course. Number thirty-seven, Devin Hano. He had the game of his life, I would imagine, and was a big part of that win. Definitely um, a team that uh, I mean, they I mean that that has to, if they weren't already, you got to maybe look at them as the favorite in D four now, uh, Newport. I mean, um, of course. With with all the, you know, looking at, at, at who's played who in that division, I mean, it's kind of tough. I mean, the other so the other game that D four game of the that of last week, you had Raymond beating Epping fifty three nothing. But as far as I understand, that was Epping's first game, uh, and Raymond's second game. So I mean, it's it's really hard to gauge, uh, you know, where some of these teams are at. But but Newport, no question, um, you know, they it, it, one of those years too that you know I think they they played Lebanon to a, a really close game too. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, a team that maybe, um, you know, despite being in D4, they could have could have been a little bit more competitive in like a D3 or even maybe even the lower half of D2. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They remind me of some of the, like the Hanover teams that were pretty good from like five, six, seven years ago, where I, I used to see film on them and say, they don't have really any superstars, but they're just tough across the board. Right, and that's kind of how Newport struck me. Right, they have a, they have good players at every position. You know, they don't have, uh, you know, they don't have one of these marquee kids. 
Yeah. And and it and to that it actually works to their advantage, right? Because they get a lot of different guys involved. They rely on being balanced and, you know, sort of running their base stuff and just running it well. So yeah, that could be a very dangerous team um down the stretch here, especially with the confidence of having beaten Manadnock so, you know, so convincingly. Well, I think we've uh We've just about hit the end here for uh, for week f- or another week. Uh, I don't know. Is this week four or week five? I I can't. I've lost. We can't even tell what week, it, week is. it is. Yeah, I think it's. I think Crazy it's into, bad. We are going into week five, I believe. Yes. We yeah. Are, that's that's correct. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up for the for this week's edition? Uh, other than what we usually say at the end of every one of these podcasts, no, I don't. Uh, you know, we always say, "Hey, it's it's going to be crazy. We're going to find out more about how everything." fits it together but even that seems to be not true anymore i think we i think we find out less and less every week <laughs> as opposed to more and more well ad- addition by subtraction in a way maybe who knows <laughs> sure if that's what we have to say about <laughs> it yeah <laughs> uh, well he is uh, mike lockman mike thanks again for joining me yeah no i had a lot of fun thanks joe i'm joe marcellina we'll talk to you again next week although a little bit later in the week listen look for us on uh, on thursday next week uh, we'll talk to you then